This is episode 263 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are Making an Emergency Food Supply on a Tight Budget and Six Survival Guns You'll Need After the End of the World. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey guys, welcome to another week of the Prepper Website Podcast. Welcome and I hope you had a great weekend. Hey, if you are new and you are not subscribed yet, feel free to do that in iTunes or Stitcher or any other podcast network out there. And that way you'll make sure you never miss another episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. Hey, I want to mention a couple of things really quick. Um, Even before today, even before I got on to start recording the podcast, I was on Twitter and saw uh, a retweet. I don't follow Mike Adams of Natural News, uh, the Health Ranger, so some of y'all might might follow him and and watch his YouTube channels and stuff like that. Uh, But anyway, someone retweeted on Twitter uh, one of his tweets, and uh, basically YouTube has taken down, has shut down his YouTube channel. And I think he had over 1,700 videos uh, on this YouTube channel. It was very, very popular. He was very outspoken on many, many different topics. And YouTube just shut him down. And so I was I was pretty amazed at that because I know that YouTube has shut down like some conservative Christians, uh, you know, YouTube channels before. I remember like Jan Markell was shut down. And there was a big outcry from her following. And of course, they all backtracked and said, uh, you know, oh, that was a mistake. It wasn't meant to be, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think that this one's a mistake here. Uh, You know, I don't think they'll come back and and say that this is a mistake. At the same time, they've also kind of frozen Alex Jones. And, and, you know, some of the, you you might not be very uh, supportive of these two people, all right? And you might like, hey, they're on the fringe, or maybe you are a big supporter of Alex Jones. I remember I was at a gun show once. And a guy was trying to talk to someone, you know, across the, the, the booth. I can't remember what kind of booth it was. I can't remember what they were what they were promoting. But he was trying to bring up Alex Jones and the other guy. The guy across the, the booth that was actually, you know, selling stuff didn't even want to really talk with them. Didn't, didn't want to have anything to do with them uh, because he was like, no, I, I, don't, I, I don't watch him. I mean, he's a kook. He's out there, you know, way on the fringe. Um, he's become a little bit more mainstream, I guess. Um, mainly, mainly because I mean I think at one time he did have you know Donald Trump on there I mean that was that was pretty crazy back in the day uh, you know when he was first starting to run and and you know he he's gotten pretty popular out there some uh, you know I think like the Drudge Report has run some of his stories and and uh, you know has linked to his articles and stuff like that but they were effectively shut down and so uh, you, they can't they can't post anymore to YouTube so I know that they can go to like. Uh, I saw something on Twitter from Alex Jones that said that he could go to Twitter live and he can go to Facebook live, but he can't go to uh, he can't go out to uh, YouTube live anymore. Basically, so his account is still there, his videos are there, but there is just you know he, he can't operate his uh, his channel anymore. And that's you know I've been talking about that you know in before in the past where we use a lot of these social medias. Uh, out there, you know, YouTube and Twitter and Facebook, and we're all over them. 
but they're companies that they can do whatever they want to, you know. They can start to shut down people if they want to. And, you know, one of the things that I thought was very interesting in uh, Mike Adams' uh, post, his Twitter post, because I was following what other people were saying. Somebody somebody tweeted back or retweeted and believed that it's like they're, they're getting ready for the midterm elections. They're shutting down all the people, all the voices out there that, uh, you know, the real conservative, uh, you know, the where people go to for the real conservative uh, views, the, the real patriotic type views and stuff like that. And they're shutting those people down so that they don't have a voice. So really the only media that is controlling anything is the mainstream media. And so you, you don't have a lot of the alternative media or at least the video aspect of that. And so, man, that, that is just very, very curious to me. Uh, that's very interesting. Uh, who, who knows? I mean, that might be exactly what they're doing. But the, but the fact still remains is this. If we are completely dependent on the social medias that are out there, and I know this is a big, this is a big argument for those who have always said, we're not going to do social media, we're not going to do that, uh, you know, I don't want to be on social media. You know, there, there's a little bit of a give and take. Because we're on social media, we're able to get a lot of exposure out there. We're, we're able to easily uh, to share content out there, right? But on the other hand is, you know, they own the, the platform. So at any time they want to shut it down or whatever, they, they kind of decide on the terms. And if they feel that you are uh, breaking their terms, they, they can shut you down. And so I go back to this idea of... of we can't be completely dependent on the, on the the social medias out there and all those kind of platforms that we do need a way to be able to communicate. That's why I always say that the email list is so popular, or not popular, but so important that if there was any other, you know, there it's all kind of independent of each other. So I've got the website, I mean, I've got social media, right? And who knows? At one point, they might start. Uh, they might just start going down and like, okay, we got rid of you know this guy and this guy, and so let's go ahead and start taking care of all these websites that promote you know patriotism and alternative news and and uh, you know this this self reliant uh, lifestyle. Let's go ahead and start killing all of these, and uh, you know we'll just have what we want out there. We'll we'll leave exactly what we want out there to be able to to uh, you know to be able to control what people hear and what they listen to and what they watch and all that kind of stuff. So those of us over here on the other side, we need to make sure that we have a means of communication. So you have the website. Uh, I am very glad that recently, probably in the last year, I have moved to a smaller, more independent uh, hosting provider. Uh, I believe is more of a, like a, a one-time, one-man show kind of thing. Uh, I don't know if it's it's so much just a one-man show, but uh, it's a it's a smaller company. I'm not with the big company anymore. You know, uh, I used to be with GoDaddy, and they were just they were terrible, 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 terrible. It was very cheap, and if you're getting started, maybe you want to go with them. But uh, if you are wanting to start a website, I got the I got the person to go to, right? I got the company that you should, you should go with. And anyway, and so I'm very glad that I've moved to them. So, you know, who knows? GoDaddy might be uh, manipulated at one point by someone who's wanting to, uh, you know, to, to control conservative thought and, and patriotism and self-reliance and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I've done that recently. I've also, uh, you know, have the email list where I can download, download that. So even if, 
my email provider or yeah the email provider MailChimp I use MailChimp and uh, if they decide to get crazy and start uh, you know uh, cutting people out I don't think they would because they actually make money from uh, the service right so I pay them to be able uh, to send out email through uh, their, their mail service so I never I don't foresee them doing that but if they do I have a means to be able to capture all the email uh, accounts or all the email lists that uh, people have signed up with. And so if I have to, you know, I can just kind of run that through a regular email uh, system if I had to. So anyway, a lot of crazy stuff that's going on in the world. This is just a portion of it, but I think it is something for those of us who are in the self-reliant space, you know, people who are interested in this and we get our content online and we learn and we grow and uh, we become better, you know, prepared because of it. I think it is something to get concerned. And then those of us who are who are patriotic and we believe, you know, we believe in America and we believe in, in the rights and the freedoms that we have. You know, this is something that's uh, kind of worrisome, right? 1984 type stuff, communist China type, communist, you know, uh, communism type stuff, China and Russia and, and, and oh man, it's, it's just, uh, when you, you think about it, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy that it would be happening at, at this point in time, but it is happening. And so there you have it. Um, I guess I don't think that, that YouTube realizes how big, uh, Mike Adams has a following on natural news and and definitely I mean I'm sure they know Alex Jones has a pretty big following so I'm sure they're they're going to hear it but uh you know we'll see if they decide to change their policy and and give back these uh these channels and open these channels back up uh and see if enough people complain or not so very interesting all right guys so uh that's my uh two cents here at the very beginning of the week Let's go ahead and move forward with our articles. Our first article comes to us from PreppersWill.com. And the title is Making an Emergency Food Supply on a Tight Budget. So let's go ahead and get started on this one. People have seen several catastrophic incidents in the recent few decades. Most of these events were sudden and quite devastating. Millions of people did not get any chance of fighting for their life just because there was nothing left to eat and drink. Only few people bother to actually make an emergency food supply. You may think that such things are, will never affect my life, but nobody can predict such events. The natural disasters and man-made disasters can take place anytime and anywhere. You will have to be prepared with everything that is necessary for survival. You should start with an emergency food supply. Food is one of the most basic needs of human beings that people do not get enough when a catastrophic event takes place. So why is the emergency food supply essential for you? Have you ever wondered how people survive when an earthquake destroys their dwelling or when a storm causes a catastrophe? Those who succeed in saving their lives during such events struggle a lot to find food and a safe space for surviving. You can find a bug out location for getting rescued soon, but what about food? Don't you think finding food and fresh water would be a very daunting task? That's what happens when a disaster takes place, and there's no point in sugarcoating it. You can deal with such situations easily if you have an emergency food supply ready in your house. By doing so, you can collect enough supplies to feed your family for a few days until help arrives. A recent earthquake took place in Nepal, and many people suffered a lot due to the lack of food and fresh water. Though the whole world stood up for helping Nepal, many people were still starving because it was very difficult to ship all the needed supplies 
such events can take place in the future, and again, it will be difficult to survive for those who don't have an emergency food supply. I'm pretty sure you may not like being one of those individuals. Therefore, you should prepare an emergency food supply for such scenarios. So let me just stop here and uh, for a quick side note. Over on the Facebook group, Nathan posted an article about uh, earthquakes in Nepal. And if you have the Suspicious Observer app that I've talked about before in the past, you know that Nepal has been, uh, I'm sorry, not Nepal, uh, Papua New Guinea. Uh, Nepal was (laughs) what the article said here. Papua New Guinea has been getting Earth, I mean, has been having earthquakes like out of control. I mean, they just nonstop. And some of them are bigger, some of them are smaller. But I mean, even if you have a smaller earthquake after having a bigger one, I mean, that still can cause some damage. And especially when you are talking about a country that, you know, in places where they're not very well developed. And so the article was talking about getting up into the mountains that relief workers aren't able to get into those rural villages and help the people that are suffering there because. Uh, you know, because of, uh, you know, the roads and, and all the, the disaster and, and all the, the chaos that has happened because of this earthquake. And so people don't have places to, you know, their their huts and their and their homes were all destroyed. And so people are are, you know, having to survive. I mean, they're they're in a real SHTF situation over there. And so, you know, that that can happen. Uh, definitely that happens in other countries all over the world. But that can happen here as well. And it might not be uh, necessarily an earthquake that does it in or does you you in, you know, or, or your house or whatever. It could be. And I know I keep uh, harping back to this, but Hurricane Harvey, you know. And so the idea of being able to bug out very quickly with emergency food is very, very important. And being able to, uh, you know, to have that uh, available to you. So um, let me get back here and continue reading. So how much food should you store? Many survival experts share ideas regarding how much food you should store for survival. You cannot completely trust those suggestions because one size does not fit all when it comes to storing an emergency food supply. You need to understand how many calories your body will require under catastrophic conditions. Your emergency food preparation should depend on your and your family's food demands and not on what others suggest. You should first consider how long you want to store the food. This is how you will easily know how much food you should store. Here are a few suggestions that you must consider. Storing food for three days. If you believe there will be a short-term emergency situation, you should make an emergency food supply for at least three days. Nowadays, this is a must-have emergency food kit that everybody should have at home. This food kit will be lightweight and you can access it easily during the emergency situation. It would be quite easy to carry this food kit with you in the car. If you cannot drive still, you will be able to haul this food supply kit with you. You should never keep pop-top cans in a short-term emergency food kit. Such cans will destroy the whole food supply if they explode during a catastrophic event. You should also avoid storing salty foods. These foods will cause dehydration and the daily water consumption will slowly increase. Things you should store in a three-day emergency food supply. The short-term emergency food supply is for a person who lives alone. However, you can also prepare different packages for the whole family. These packages should be easily accessible so that you can quickly hold them and run out of the house if needed. Some preppers use 5-gallon buckets to make food storage kits, and those are easy to transport. 
There are many things you need when storing an emergency food supply for a short while. Water should be your main priority. People can survive without food for a few weeks, but not without water. It is what people crave when they are scared and exhausted. Every individual needs at least one gallon of water per day. So, you must keep at least three gallons of water in your emergency food kit. When it comes to storing food, you should store only non-perishable foods. That should be no problem since you can get many varieties of non-perishable foods at any grocery store. You should also concentrate on the food that requires little to no cooking. Those foods can be eaten anytime and even on the trail. Most people cannot carry a cooking stove with them and few know how to improve survival cooking methods in the wild. Not to mention that it would be really tough to find any working cooking appliance after a disastrous event. Therefore, you should store only the ready-to-eat products. You should store meals which are best for survivalists and you can even make your own. The famous pemmican is very nutritious and it can last for months without the need for refrigeration. The food quality should be enough for at least three days at state, as stated previously. Choose products that you actually eat and pay attention to their calorie count. It should be higher. The non-perishable food items such as trail mix, granola bars, crackers, canned tuna, meat, beans, Chef Boyardee, and some other such non-perishable meals would be the best for the short-term requirement of your body. Okay, so I know that this article is talking about uh, prepping an emergency food supply on a tight budget, right? And so uh, completely, I like the idea of the five-gallon bucket and having that five-gallon bucket and putting food in there. If you can store three days, I think you can easily store three days worth of food in a five-gallon bucket. And so if you have a family of four, maybe you have uh, four or five-gallon buckets. If you want to go that way, you can do that. Uh, I think you know, you're going to need to look into the water situation. Uh, if you are bugging out, you're getting out because of a disaster and you're getting into your car, you can take some water with you. But the, the understanding is that you are going to travel to a place where you can have water. And of course, you know, um, you, you, we're going to add our bug out bags and stuff like that to, to this whole situation. But you're, you're in a situation where you're getting to your vehicle and you're, and you're loading, you know, in one or two trips, you are loading a lot of, uh, you know, survival uh, supplies very, very quickly, right? So these uh, gallon buckets, uh, you're taking bug out bags and you're taking water very, very quickly. And if you have a family of four, you know, multiple people can can handle multiple, uh, you know, trips and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. So uh, I think that's that's uh, something that you can prepare and you can easily do. Um, if you are preparing a like a five gallon bucket, which you can get at Home Depot or Lowe's very, very cheap and uh, you can start stocking it up. Uh, I like the idea of don't use the pop top because if there is a, a problem with, um, uh, you know, with, with botulism or whatever, it's easier for a pop top to pop and you don't want to eat any of the food. I mean, all that food will be contaminated. So you got to be very, very careful about canned food that's bulging. Uh, even if you're talking about, you know, in your pantry or in a five gallon bucket or whatever you're talking about. So you got to be very careful with that. But on the flip side of that, you do need to have a can opener, right? So if you have some cans in there, you need to have some can openers. 
some really good can openers too. Uh, you know, try them out. Make sure that, that, that they work. You don't want to get a can opener from the dollar store and then realize that it doesn't work. There's always ways to open cans and you know out there in the field if you really had to. But uh, you know, there's all it can be kind of dangerous and it'll you know food, dirt and junk and stuff gets inside of it. So just have a couple of great can openers. If you find a good can opener and you like it, you know, buy a couple of extra ones so you can add to it. So I know this article was talking about prepping on a tight budget, but even if you can't afford it, I know that there are, uh, you know, dehydrated foods, you know, that you can buy like you know, in pouches like Mountain House, right? Uh, Mountain House, uh, usually everyone likes Mountain House food. And so you can buy their 72 hour kit. Uh, you can buy those from, uh, you know, from Amazon. Um, even you can you can even buy some of the pouches, the individual pouches at Walmart if you wanted to buy. If you were like on a tight budget and you wanted to buy one at a time, as you can afford it to to build up your stock or your five gallon buckets or whatever you wanted to do, and you can kind of add that to it. Of course, you're gonna need uh, you're gonna need water uh, to uh, to rehydrate them. But you know you have Mountain House, uh, you have Legacy Foods uh, that you can buy through Prepper website. I'm an affiliate for that one. Uh, you know, you can buy, they have buckets as well that you can buy and, and add to it. But if you are on a tight budget, I mean, you can easily, easily create an emergency food supply in a five gallon bucket, uh, to take with you if you really, really needed to. So, uh, you know, I'm going to challenge you to do that. Even on a tight budget, you can do that. All right. So moving on storing food for 90 days, you might be wondering why I should store food for a longer time. Just to give you a quick example, take a look at how Hurricane Katrina destroyed New Orleans and do a little research about the dramatic outcome of that disaster. Around 10,000 people had suffered because of this natural disaster. Many people had no food and no water for weeks and they had to rely on others to survive. This is only one example that should make you consider all the possibilities. An extended short-term emergency food supply will not only assure that you have enough meals for your survival, but it will also encourage you to push forward and help others if any disaster takes place. Any edible, non-perishable, and non-refrigerated items can be a great choice for a three-month emergency food kit. You should focus on storing canned food that will take minimal space in the food supply kit with a good shelf life. Though you will have to spend some extra money from compiling the food supplies for three months, it will also last for more than 90 days if you stretch, and, you stretch and rotate it when you get in trouble. Though you will have to spend some extra money from compiling the food supply for three months, it will also last for more than 90 days if you stretch and ration it when you get in trouble. The food items can be the same as a short-term emergency food supply, but the quantity will increase based on the extended time frame. You will have to store more water than you can use since you will be using it not only for drinking, but also for some light cooking and sanitation chores. Hey, I also know that I wanted to talk about here because if you're at a 90-day supply, even if you're at a three-day supply of emergency food and you're in the midst of a disaster and for whatever reason the utilities are off, maybe the gas is off, maybe the electricity is off, you are going to need a way to cook food. Uh, you know, in, in a, I know that he mentioned Katrina. So if you're right in the middle of a city, you're going to need something like propane 
to be able to cook food. I mean, you can if you can build a fire, if you you know you have a fire pit, I mean, go for it. But you're going to have to have wood to be able to do that. I mean, if you have a nice supply of wood in your backyard, maybe you've been you've been stacking wood or whatever, you know, you're good to go there. But if uh, you're right in the middle of New Orleans, like in Katrina, you're going to need some propane tanks and uh, you know ways to cook fire in or well, ways to cook fire, ways to cook food in in that kind of a situation, right? So uh, I know that that wasn't talked about here, but uh, you, that's something that you're going to have to consider as well. All right, so long-term storage. The long-term emergency food storage can be challenging and very confusing for certain people. You may often wonder what to store that can remain nutritious and edible for a long period of time. We all have read about how people survived in deserted areas by eating anything they got. A long-term food supply can help you in surviving longer and never losing the hope to get rescued. Storing foods which contain above 10% moisture is not a great idea for a long-term survival. You should check the list of meals online that contains 10% moisture and provide enough energy to survive the whole day. There are a lot of foods that can outlast you and you need to do proper research before stocking up your pantry. The water would be a big issue for long-term storage survival. You should try to store as many bottles as you can to keep in an emergency food kit. It may not be enough for long-term survival, and therefore you will have to find some additional help. You will concentrate your effort on collecting and purifying water from natural sources. And so definitely in this situation, you want to have water filters and and, uh, you want to have all that to kind of go along with that. Um, When we talk about long-term storage, I wish they would have here in this article just kind of giving you some ideas, right? Because you talk about long-term storage and and people are kind of like, okay, what do I do here? The easiest, listen people, the easiest, easiest, easiest way to have long-term storage without breaking the bank is to do uh, rice and beans in five-gallon buckets with Mylar bags and oxygen absorbers, all right? That is the easiest way to make sure that you have a super long, the rice in there will last, white rice will last for a long time, beans will last for a long time, and you can do a lot with it. And so you can put those away, they will last for a long time. You can practice uh, you know, cooking rice and beans in different ways. You wanna have seasonings, you wanna, hopefully you have a garden that you're growing that you can add to it. Uh, hopefully you have you know other things that you can uh, to supplement it, but that is a way to have it. And so I remember, you know, there's there's some people out there that have problems eating flour and and things like. If you store like pinto beans, right? You can dried pinto beans. You can create uh, a flour out of that with a grinder. You just need to have a good grinder, and, and you can you can do that. And so there's a lot there that you can do. That that is the easiest thing. And I know people are like, I don't know about the rice and beans. You know, tr- try it. Try 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 some recipes. Try cooking with it. Try you know experimenting with it and see if that's something that you can do. You know, uh, that that will just add. I mean, it's very cheap and will last for a long time. And that's the easiest way. I mean, if you are wealthy and you have a lot of money, you can go drop thousands of dollars on, you know, a year supply of, uh, you know, dehydrated food from Mountain House or Legacy Foods. And, and that would be great. You know, whoever you bought that from would love you completely. So you can do that if you needed to. But if you can't afford that and you're trying to go, uh, you know, a, a cheaper way, then Mylar bags, oxygen absorbers, five-gallon buckets, 
and uh, rice and beans. I, I do have a uh, you know an article that I provide that that I put together with a lot of different resources. I'm going to link it here. I haven't done it in a long time. I'm going to link it in the show notes. Because when I first started out, I, I was bouncing around the internet trying to figure out how to do this. And I found some articles and I did find some, some videos and different things like that. But, you know, I, it, it was uh, really just go out and do it. Because here, here it is, is like you, you have this fear of, you know, hey, I'm, I'm playing with emergency food, right? My, this food supply. I don't want to mess it up. I want to make sure I do this right so it lasts. And so uh, you don't necessarily need the five-gallon buckets. Uh, you can just use mylar, uh, mylar bags and oxygen absorbers. But the five-gallon buckets make sure that the mylar bags don't rip. And it's a, it's a protection against you know pests getting to it and ripping and all those kinds of things. And so, uh, again, like I said, I'm going to link to that article in the show notes if you want to uh, you know, look into that a little bit more. I, I think that is really the way to go when we're talking about long-term food storage and really when we're talking about doing it on a budget. Um, so anyway, here we go. Uh, continuing on. How to make an emergency food supply when the budget is tight. Budget always creates issues for preppers, especially for beginners. The budget issue is a constant problem whether people plan to buy a new vehicle, home goods, or food stuff for the emergency food supply. Many companies provide packages of emergency food supplies for the survivalists and preppers. It is also a fact that everyone cannot afford to pay a small fortune for buying such food supply. So what, you, what can you do if your budget is not high and you still have to prepare for any adverse events in the future? There are a few simple tips that you can follow to store food for survival at affordable prices. Take benefit of sales. The local supermarkets and grocery stores often provide items at significantly discounted prices. You should not miss any opportunity of buying low moisture and canned foods at affordable prices. If you know what to buy and what to store in the emergency food kit, you can quickly pick the required items at very affordable prices. You can also plan to store extra food in the emergency food kit that will help you in helping others or use it for bartering for surviving longer during a disastrous situation. That's one smart way to help you. You never run out of money and still get all the essential foods to survive the worst. Help your neighbors for some necessary rewards. If there are fruit trees in your neighborhood, and if your neighbor does not have time for picking them, you can always give a helping hand. Your neighbors will thank you for your help, and they can also give you some of the produce for helping them keep their garden or backyard clean. You can use the fruits for making jam or jelly, and you can even can them to complete your emergency food supply. These food additions will help improve the diversity of your food stock and will provide a lot of nutrients and vitamins that are needed for your body to deal with adverse conditions. You will not spend a penny, and you will get a sufficient food supply to survive for a few days. Powdered milk and eggs. Powdered milk is a delicious item that you can store in the emergency food kit and it will satisfy both young and old. The one you pick for your pantry should be dehydrated and it should have a long shelf life. Know when the next sale is at your grocery store and buy a few milk powder cans for storage. In addition to the milk powder, you should also buy powdered eggs or egg powder. It is also rich in proteins and provides many other nutrients needed during harsh famine days. It will cover minimum space in your food kit and work as a power booster when you do not get the regular meals you are used to. 
All right, so I've never had powdered milk that tasted good. Just FYI on that, unless you're talking about, uh, you know, uh, something, you know, really, really sweetened, right? And then at that, it's all, all the junk that's in there. But, uh, you know, you can easily use powdered milk and powdered eggs to cook with. Uh, if if you needed to and if you wanted to you know re- rehydrate them you could uh, do that if you I guess if you were desperate right uh, but anyway I some people do like them so I'm not gonna you know knock it too too much all right moving on canned and dehydrated meat have you ever heard about bitlong it is an African survival meal that looks like beef jerky but it is more delicious and affordable than beef jerky We are not suggesting to buy the canned meat from the market because you may need to pay a good amount of money for nutrition-rich canned meat. What you should do is learn how to prepare bitlong at home. You can also store beef jerky if you like to prepare both of these foods. The shelf life of bitlong and beef jerky is quite long and you will not go hungry. You can prepare these meals and store them in your pantry to use during a disaster. A bit long will boost your energy levels when you have nothing else to eat during an emergency situation. All right, powdered drink mixes. The powdered drink mixes are another cheap and delicious solution for preppers. These items require minimal space in the emergency food supply kit. You can easily store 10 to 20 powdered drink mixes in your kit and use them when you want to have something powerful during your survival days. I've noticed there's an increasing trend in preppers stocking powdered drink mixes designed for athletes and bodybuilders due to their high content of nutrients. Check super cheap emergency food supplies available online. Do not worry if your budget is low. There are companies which work to provide affordable food storage solutions for preppers. You can find a lot of emergency food packages under your budget if you are willing to spend the time and look for deals. Though you may like to prepare the emergency food kit on your own, you should still check with what is available online. It will help you in adding some cost-effective products to your emergency food supply kit. You will save some extra bucks, get high-quality meals for emergency food storage, and thus you will be ready for an upcoming disaster. Not to mention that a lot of people use couponing to get big discounts for such items. It's no shame in using the same tactic as long as you are preparing for the unknown. Uh, I know that uh, Legacy Foods has in the past uh, done some deals, and you know they do some deals not only in the in the big packages of food that you can buy, right, uh, the big buckets or whatever, but even uh, as well like on dehydrated strawberries and bananas. And I mean, you can easily if you have a dehydrator, you can make your own. But uh, you know, if buying a, a number ten can of uh, you know dehydrated strawberries would go a long way too uh, if that was something that you needed you know or wanted and so they have all different kinds of fruit that you can purchase there all right so get ready to deal with any dangerous situation climate change has recently caused some scary disasters that lead to lead a lot of people to losing their lives natural disasters are occurring more often and they are just one of the topics of emergency preparedness alongside wars and social or financial meltdowns These events can take place anytime, anywhere, and no one is completely safe. Just follow the news and you will understand that the atmosphere is not quite well around the world. It is your responsibility to be prepared and keep the emergency food supply ready. That's how you can hope to survive and face any tough situation that the future may throw at you. Good article here just on, on, you know, hopefully pushing you to possibly get prepared in this emergency food supply 
uh, you know, you might not have started yet. You might be, have been listening to the to the podcast for a while, I and mean, you might be new. So I'm going to encourage you that if you don't have at least a three day supply, so you think about, you know, we go back. I'm going to go back to Katrina here, and uh, you know, it took a it took the government a long time to get uh, mobilized. But if you had a three day supply at home, right? Uh, you know, you, that would be able to get you by for a little bit until the government was able to be there and, uh, you know, was, was able to bring in supplies. But even at that, you don't want to count on the government. You do not want uh, to, to give the responsibility of your family, of the food and water and the important things to survive. You don't want to turn that over to the government. You want to be able to do that on your own. So, if your emergency supplies, so you don't want to do the five-gallon bucket thing and have the five-gallon buckets ready to go, maybe you build your food supply and you're doing that first in, first out. You're doing a food rotation in your food pantry, but you keep five-gallon buckets really close by, and so you're able to you're able to know really quickly if you were going to uh, if you had to bug out, you you would be able to drop a lot of food in there, and you would already have an idea of what you would be dropping in there, right? So it's not like you're making a menu. You're, you you might not have time to make the menu, but I'm just saying if you don't have you don't want to make these five-gallon buckets, or you don't want to do it this way to where you can easily bug out. Go ahead and stock up your food pantry and and make sure that you have you know what you need. But then have these five gallon buckets or crates or or boxes or or something that you can easily you know put a lot of food canned food in there or even that dry food and then be be able to get out right. So just have think think through that a little bit, and so you're able to if you needed to to get out of there very quickly. All right, so that's over at PreppersWill.com, and I'm, like always, I link to all the articles, and so you can go and uh, get to that one and uh, go check that out and read it a little bit more carefully uh, for your own needs. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to our next article. All right, our next article comes to us from UrbanSurvivalSite.com, and it is entitled Six Survival Guns You'll Need After the End of the World. And this is a, a fun article here with a lot of good stuff. For those of you that uh, like firearms, so let's go ahead and jump right into it. With all the different makes and models of guns, it can seem impossible to decide which ones you need in your disaster arsenal, especially if you're new to guns or prepping. But in reality, selecting the right guns doesn't have to be difficult. Not all guns or calibers are created equal, and the result is that there are several factors to keep in mind that will help you narrow down your selection. In this article, I'm going to share my list of six guns every prepper should have after the SHTF, but first I'm going to explain how I came up with the list. What do you need guns for? In a survival scenario, you will need guns for a variety of different reasons such as hunting, small and big game, home defense, property defense, target shooting and plinking, pest control, and general homestead use. Each of the above applications is pretty self-explanatory. They all demand different calibers or types of firearms as there is no one gun that fits all uses, just as there is no tool that can fix everything. So calibers that you need. Now let's talk about the best ammo calibers to have by handgun, rifle, and shotgun. Semi-automatic pistol calibers. There are three primary pistol calibers out there, 9mm, 40 Smith & Wesson, and 45 ACP. Yes, there are plenty of others such as 45 GAP or 10mm or 357 SIG or 380 ACP, but 
the first three are by far the most popular. Well, 380 ACP is actually very popular too, especially for concealed carry, but it's also on the low end of the stopping power range and isn't the best caliber choice for a general purpose sidearm. Remember that a major consideration for any SHTF firearm is ammunition availability. While the shells are going to be stripped clean and ammo of all calibers will become a precious commodity after a major disaster, your chances of finding more ammunition, such as through bartering with somebody, will be significantly higher if you're looking for the most common calibers. Hence, 9mm, 40 Smith & Wesson, and 45 ACP should be the only three semi-automatic pistol calibers that you should consider. But, we can still further narrow our selection from there. Go with 9mm and 9mm alone. In all honesty, 40 Smith & Wesson is sunsetting and may not be as popular down the road. The FBI and numerous police departments are swapping from 40 to 9mm, mainly because 40 Smith & Wesson is a higher pressure round and inflicts greater wear on pistols than 9mm does. 45 is a solid round and is, a, is about as American as you can get for a pistol round. In fact, it's arguably the most American pistol caliber in existence. But it's also far more expensive than 9mm, and pistols chambered for 45 almost always hold fewer rounds due to the fact that it's a larger in terms of diameter. Sure, it has more stopping power on paper, but there are still a plethora of 9mm self-defense rounds that are incredibly effective. 9mm is simply the most versatile pistol round in existence, and it's also the cheapest and most popular. Double-stacked pistols chambered for 9mm carry a lot of rounds and recoil is very moderate. It's simply the best pistol around there is, and by the looks of things, it's going to stay that way for a long time. Revolver Calibers You may say revolvers are antiquated all you want, but they have a distinct appeal in their simplicity and inherent reliability. If you are seriously considering a revolver for your SHTF arsenal or for your home defense purposes, there is only one caliber that should really be considered, a 357 Magnum. The reasons for this are as endless as the numbers of revolvers available. For one thing, 357 Magnum has a solid reputation for excellent stopping power and as a one-shot man-stopper. It is a little expensive, but it's also widely available. Plus, revolvers chambered for the 357 Magnum round can fire and shoot 38 Special as well, which makes them highly versatile. The fact that a 357 can chamber and fire the lighter 38 Special load makes it an attractive offering for smaller statured shooters as well. So rifle calibers. A handgun is a defensive weapon and nothing more, and it's a last resort weapon at that. All pistol calibers are notoriously underpowered. In fact, out of all people shot with a pistol, around 80% will survive. In contrast, only around 20% of people shot with a rifle survive. The lesson here is obvious. Rifles are more effective. They have more stopping power and they have a much greater range and velocity as well. By all accounts, a rifle needs to be your primary arm in an SHTF scenario. It's the weapon that you must rely upon for defending your homestead, house, property, and family against multiple attackers. Your pistol is simply a sidearm on your hip for last resort use or for ease of concealment. The old saying goes that a pistol is the weapon you use to fight your way to your rifle. You never want to knowingly go into a gunfight with just a pistol. You need a rifle too. So with all that said, let's talk calibers. 
There is an abundance of rifle calibers out there, and many of them you are no doubt familiar with, even if you are a beginner to the subject. But for disaster preparedness purposes, there are two that stand out among all the rest, 5.56 by 45mm NATO and 308 Winchester. These two calibers are like the 9mm of rifle rounds. They are both widely common and available. Prices are not obnoxious and they are incredibly effective. The 5.56 is lighter and it's what is used in AR-15s. It can be used for hunting game such as deer or wild hog, but larger game such as elk or moose will undoubtedly require the larger 308. Think of it this way. The 5.56 is the caliber you will use to defend your family, while the 308 is the caliber you will use to put food on the table. 308 can also be used for anti-personnel use at long distances as well. So shotgun calibers. 12 gauge or 20 gauge. Either of those options will work. The 12 gauge is slightly more common but is also has considerably more recoil. The 20 gauge is much more manageable to control so long as the weight in the shotgun itself is not reduced. And this may make it more appealing to a multitude of people who don't desire a gun that's hard to manage and not that fun to shoot. But the 12 gauge and 20 gauge are enormously effective for defense. Shoot an intruder with a buckshot round from either of them at close range, such as in, in a home defense situation, and they'll be sorry to say the least. Don't feel like a wimp for opting for the 20 gauge over the 12. A 20 gauge is more than powerful enough to bring down a home intruder with just one shot, and the fact that it is much easier to shoot may actually make it a better option. A shotgun is arguably the most important firearm you can use. Some would say that a pistol is more important because you can conceal them, but a shotgun is just so versatile, it's not even funny. Buckshot rounds are used to used for home defense at close range. Birdshot loads are great for bird hunting and small game hunting, also within reasonable close ranges. And slugs can be used to bring down larger game, such as deer, at moderate distances. There is no other type of gun in the world that can do each of these things for you. For these reasons, a shotgun may be the firearm you use the most in an SHTF situation. Hey, let me just briefly talk. I know somebody in the comment section <laughs> said, I can't believe you brought up the, the 12 uh, gauge versus the 20 gauge uh, topic here. Um, let, me, let me say this. If you have a 12 gauge shotgun, that is, is it's too much of a of kick for you, right? It's like that. It's just it's too much. Go and buy a different butt pad. Uh, go buy a different butt pad. Go, you know, do a little bit of research. Whatever they're easy to install, and I'm telling you that will make all the difference uh, for you. So if you have, uh, you know, a, a 12 gauge shotgun that doesn't, I mean, it doesn't have any kind of padding whatsoever, and uh, in the butt of the of the rifle, and it just feels like it's just you know knocking you to the ground every time you shoot it. I'm telling you, go get a, a good butt pad with a good. Uh, you know, some shock absorption in there and it will make all the, it will change your mind about that gun, right? So uh, just letting you know, I've shot uh, shotguns before with uh, a really nice butt pad and almost the same type of shotgun without one. And there is a huge difference. And so uh, it might be worth your money to go ahead and invest in one of those uh, because it just, you know, it just makes the big difference. All right. So moving on 22 long rifle. Finally, how could we not mention 22 long rifle at all? This is the best-selling round on the planet. Every gun collection needs to have at least one 22 rifle in it, regardless of whether you're a prepper or not. 
22 Long Rifle has a seemingly unlimited number of advantages, and the following list of benefits is really only scratching the surface. Low noise, low recoil, excellent for plinking, can be bought and stored in bulk for low prices and limited storage space, great for general homestead use, great for small game hunting, can be used defensively if needed, though far better options are certainly available. It really goes without saying that a 22 rifle is an absolute necessity for your gun collection. All right, so let's talk about specific guns here. So survival guns you need. Now we can begin to talk about the specific makes and models of guns you need based on those calibers. The semi-automatic pistols, a Glock 19 or a reliable 9mm pistol of some kind. There are a plethora of reliable 9mm semi-automatic pistols out there for you to buy, so we can't talk about each of them in detail. We can, however, outline some of the best models for you to consider. As a golden rule, you will want your 9mm pistol to have a minimum of 12 rounds in the magazine. This is simply to reduce the amount of reloading you have to do should you have to defend yourself against multiple attackers. The exception here is if you live in a state that is limited to 10 round magazines at the most. And if you live in a state with 10 round magazines limit, I'm very sorry for you. Furthermore, you need a pistol that is completely reliable and has an acceptable trigger. Also, make sure your chosen pistol is ergonomic and fits well in your hands. You want something you'll enjoy shooting and holding. Something you will likely need to replace on your pistol are the sights. As few production pistols ship with night sights and instead ship with your standard polymer three-dot sights, which aren't very durable. Examples of pistols that meet all of the above criteria except for the ergonomic part because that's a personal preference, include the following in alphabetical order. So I'm not going to read all of these, but they are there, so you can go check those out and see what the author you know, uh, is suggesting there. Out of those choices, many survivalists would claim that the Glock 19 is the best choice for more than one reason. It's compact and easy to conceal, simple in operation, holds 15 rounds, is very reliable, and has lots of spare parts and accessories. It will also accept larger 17 or 33 round magazines for added firepower too. But again, it comes down to what you like. Don't get a Glock 19 just because someone told you to. Get a Glock 19 because you like it. And if you don't, get one of those other options instead. Revolvers. The Ruger GP100. A 357 Magnum revolver with a 4-inch barrel and stainless steel finish is quite a versatile, reliable, and easy-to-use handgun. Literally anyone can pick it up and shoot it, whereas a semi-automatic will require practice to learn the controls. As with semi-autos, there are plenty of revolvers being produced today that fulfill the above criteria, but the GP100 from Ruger stands out among the rest of its biggest competitors for one reason, extreme durability. The GP100 is built like a tank and was specifically designed by Ruger to fire an unlimited number of full-powered 357 Magnum loans without pause. In contrast to this, many competing revolvers such as those from Taurus or Smith & Wesson may need to cool down after a few cylinders. Otherwise, the cylinder timing could get messed up. For an end-of-the-world revolver that can do literally anything and everything you ask of it, the GP100 should definitely be your top choice. 3-inch and 6-inch models are available as well, and Ruger has recently begun producing them with 7-shot cylinders rather than the standard 6. For rifles, the Ruger AR-556 and Ruger American Rifle. 
Not to be heavily biased in favor of Ruger here, but the AR556 is one of the highest quality budget AR15s available on the market. Routinely available in the $500 to $600 range, it's a basic AR-15 that can have all of the normal AR accessories added to it. Note, another excellent budget AR-15 would be the Smith & Wesson M&P-15 Sport 2. Both are excellent. You can spend more money on a nicer AR-15 if you want to. One example is the Colt LE6920, which is widely considered to be the industry standard for AR-15s. It's routinely priced at above $900, and for just an ordinary citizen, you won't notice much of a difference between it and the Ruger AR-556 or the Smith & Wesson M&P-15. And for a 308 rifle, the Ruger American Rifle gives you a lot of gun for the money. Routinely available for around $400, it often ships with the Red Field Scope, and it's also available in practically any other rifle caliber that you can possibly think of. Another similarly priced and well-valued rifle is the Mossberg Patriot, which is available at the same price and ships with the Vortex Scope in some deals. If you desire a higher quality rifle, meaning you would be willing to spend the money on something with a smoother bolt action and a nicer finish, then the Remington 700, Ruger 77 Hawkeye, and Winchester M70 are all viable options. Just beware that for each of those rifles with a good scope, you'll be spending over a grand. Finally, there are semi-automatic options for a 308 as well. Examples include the AR-10 and Springfield M1A. While you will definitely be spending over $1,000 for each of those two, especially for the M1A, having a semi-automatic and 308 could be highly desirable, especially for engaging enemies for longer distances. For shotguns, the Mossberg 500 and the 590. For shotguns, the Mossberg 500 and 590 series take the cake. They are both widely popular with a limitless number of accessories and the controls are more user-friendly than the competing Remington 870. The Mossberg utilizes an ambidextrous tang safety whereas the 870 is not ambidextrous, for instance. Another argument in favor of the Mossberg is the fact that it is the only pump-action shotgun to pass the military torture test back in the 1980s. Mossberg 590A1 shotguns are still used by the military today. If you truly want to a do-it-all shotgun, the most versatile shotgun that you can possibly own, then go with the Mossberg 500 with a 5 plus 1 capacity and buy two barrels for it, an 18.5 inch and a 28 inch barrel. The barrels on a Mossberg 500 are incredibly easy to swap out and can be done in less than 30 seconds once you go get the process down. A long barrel will be more suitable for hunting and clay pigeon shooting, with the short barrel is obviously the best option for home defense. And why a pump-action shotgun and not a semi-auto? Because semi-auto shotguns are more finicky and you have to pay a premium price for one that will run reliably in most cases. A pump-action Mossberg 500 or a Remington 870, meanwhile, can be bought at a fraction of the price and will feed literally everything you give them. 22 rifle, the Ruger 1022. Yes, it's another Ruger, but the 1022 is one of the most customizable firearms on the planet and easily the most popular 22 rifle. It's popular for a reason. It's reliable and it's dependable, not to mention accurate. Standard magazine capacity is 10 rounds, but 25 round and higher magazines are also available too. That's a lot of firepower, even if it's only a 22 caliber. Decent alternatives to the 1022, including the Marlin Model 60 and the Smith & Wesson M&P 15-22. 
The latter option is a good choice if you also own an AR-15, so your training will be virtually identical between the two weapons. And while the Marlin 60 is definitely a great rifle, it's also tube-fed, meaning you have to load the rounds individually and cannot do tactical reloads like you can do with the 1022 or M&P 1522. So to summarize your disaster preparedness, Arsenal consists of the following six survival guns based on the above suggestions. The Glock 19 9mm. And so he's got videos here of every gun that, uh, that you can come check out that he's suggesting here. Uh, number two, the Ruger GP100 357 Magnum. The Ruger AR556 uh, chambered in 5.56 and 45mm NATO. The Ruger American 308 Winchester, the Mossberg 512 gauge, and the Ruger 1022 22 long rifle. With each of those guns, every single one of your needs for a firearm in a prepping situation is fulfilled, which is pretty cool. But remember, you don't have to follow the above list verbatim. Who says you, can, you can't have a Walther PPQ instead of a Glock 19, or a Smith & Wesson 686 instead of a GP100, or a Winchester Model 70 instead of a Ruger American, or a Remington 870 instead of a Mossberg 500? The point is to have the above categories and calibers of guns instead of those specific makes and models. Chances are good that if you're reading this, you already have some guns in your closet or gun safe right now that fall into the above categories. And if so, then by all means, there isn't any real need to replace them. All right, good article with a lot of information, especially if you're new to prepping. And uh, maybe, you know, you, you've been prepping for a while, but... You know, you don't have all of these and not that you do need all of these. It would be nice to have them all right um, uh, to be able to do that. I was kind of surprised that the 30-06 wasn't mentioned. I know the 308 was mentioned uh, instead for for a rifle. I think the 30-06 is pretty, um, pretty, pretty much available out there. I mean, that's a standard round uh, out there. And so um, I know it's a little probably a little bit more expensive round. Than the 308s um, when you're purchasing out there, but um, I was surprised that that wasn't mentioned. But you, you know, you have that option as well. There's a, a lot of good stuff out there. So I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this article here because um, it was a longer article, and I know I've kind of gone long already. But what would I do here? I, I think that if I was purchasing, if I was a new prepper, and what I with what I know now, what I would do. I definitely would probably buy a handgun first, it, definitely in the 9mm uh, range. And then uh, I would probably buy a shotgun and probably go for that Mossberg 500 exactly like uh, he is uh, suggesting here. And then from there, um, probably would do the 22 uh, long rifle and uh, you know go to the AR uh, platform uh, after that. I would probably buy in in those a revolver. I, I've considered a revolver, and I and I would if I was to buy a revolver, I would buy a, a 357 because you have that uh, the versatility of the 38 special. Um, I just you know that's not something that I have looked into uh, to purchase. You know, it's just uh, one of those things. You know, uh, sometimes money is an issue, and uh, you have a family, and you got to prioritize a little bit there. But uh, that's what I would do. I would go with uh, with the pistol, then the shotgun, uh, and uh, the twenty two, and then the, the AR there uh, in you know in that order. But you can do any order that you'd like. And uh, I'm just curious, you know, if you have a list or your list of varies, um, I, I'd love to be able to to hear what you know what you suggest out there. 
Don't forget to check out Urban Survival site in this article and uh, check out some of the links that uh, that you can click on. And then especially also, uh, you, you can go check out all those videos all in one place. I mean, you could go to YouTube, but you can see all these videos all in one place. And so that's again, that's over at UrbanSurvivalSite.com. All right, guys. Well, that is it for episode 263. Um, really do appreciate you starting out your week with me. Um, know that uh, if you are looking for more preparedness content, you know you're, there's always proper website that you can go check out. And uh, we'd love for you to come over to the Facebook group and hang out with us if you get that chance. With that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.